In E. Michael Jones' seminal work, Slaughter of Cities, on the decline of ethnic American urban neighborhoods in the 1960s and 70s, he notes the coordinated attempt by the elites and social engineers to destabilize individual races and form deracinated, relatively homogenous black urban ghettos and white suburbs. The legacy of this phenomenon has not abated, as once great American cities such as Baltimore and Detroit, as evidenced by their 19th century architecture, have fallen into permanent decline as they now are centers for urban blight and consistent low-level violence. When the media, however, decides to amplify the statistically rare occasion of white-on-black violence, as in the recent case of the police officer killing a black man in Minneapolis, the racial powder keg that is urban America erupts as it has an arguably an unprecedented coast-to-coast series of mob riots and looting in the summer of 2020. I did not trade arms for hostages. It's Hey, how's everybody doing? You shit on fire yet? The bunker. Well, I just took my mask off and now I want to put it back, but I don't think there's enough armor plating in it. Yeah. I don't believe that armor is helpful. That. I'm going to put on my new Nikes and I'm going to run really fast away and simply not get shot at. Don't wear Nikes. <laughs> That's catnip for the uh, the feral American class. Yeah, you gotta get Where do you think I got them, man? Half price. <laughs> Craigslist. So for our listeners, uh, if you somehow aren't aware of what's currently going on in America, um, there is... A, uh, a, I don't even know what to call this, a color revolution unfolding, a uh, series of massive rioting and looting operations in two or three dozen American cities or metro areas currently ongoing in dozens of states. The president of the United States just a few hours ago um, has basically declared that if states and cities are unable to get a hold of the situation, the U.S. military will be deployed. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, large-scale civil unrest in the United States right now, just as uh, most states are beginning to come out of uh, Kung Flu lockdown. Guys, most any Most of them thoughts? aren't even out of uh, lockdown, per se. It's just that one morphed seamlessly into the other. Yeah. Almost as though one op was being switched for another. Uh, my, my take, and I'll keep it brief, is that this is yet another way to solidify uh, the authority. Uh, so one of my suspicions about the COVID crisis, if we even want to call it that, was that it would embolden the government and elite to consolidate power. And we've seen that. We've seen that in uh, the Walmarts of the world. We've seen that in the uh, Governor Whitmer's of the world uh, in Michigan, that that woman not allowing people to go take their kids for a walk. Um, and I think as things sort of got a little bit tired and boring and it was sort of a wet blanket of, of a nothing burger, uh, this is yet another opportunity for them to accelerate the uh, anarcho tyranny and the anarcho part is pretty obvious right now as the cities across the country are burning yet again uh, for I don't know how many times this has happened in American history uh, but the 60s were probably the most uh, relevant in 
modern history and then the Rodney King riots, obviously, in the 90s, and then the plethora of riots that were happening during the Obama administration, ironically. Um, but yet again, we've had uh, sort of a lull on that, and here we go again once more. Uh, there's a lot of people speculating that George Soros is stoking the fires. We've seen Antifa show up at these things. Soros and- is brain dead, guys. Whoever is someone is running that those funds, but it's not George Soros anymore. I mean, even if he was fully functional and just like just happens to be alive and a million years old, like the organization is large enough that there are layers of management. And when you're fucking a million years old, you're basically like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And maybe hiring and firing people occasionally like strategic direction. But it's not like, ah, yes phase one is complete let us now transition to the riots from the lockdowns like that's not I, th- I think it was organic caricature but I, I think it's it's more organic I mean the way I sort of was discussing it with uh, some people over the weekend was the um Obviously, the, and we can go into the statistics in more depth, but broad strokes, uh, black on black and black on white crime is uh, almost 10 times, um, it's more than 10 times actually, uh, the amount of violence than white on black crime. Yet the media ignores that and highlights this. So eventually, given how big the country is, you're going to get some white on black violence, as the case with this police officer stepping or uh, putting his knee on this guy's throat. Um, I'm not you know, condemning or endorsing it. It's just it's just a matter of uh, statistics. This stuff happens, okay? But the media cherry picks this stuff for their stupid demonic agenda. And the dummies on social media who don't read or don't understand math or don't pay attention or think react. And this is what, what it is. And uh, I, in prep for this, I was listening to the uh, LA Riots episode we did with James LaFond. Uh, shout out to him. Um, a scholar and a gentleman and a very knowledgeable guy from uh, the streets of Baltimore uh, in, in his analysis of that event and the broader uh, political agenda at hand in riots like this is that the, the society uh, or the city the American city was never designed to work. Uh, it was at least in the modern form of it. It's really designed to, to clash people against each other and to distract them from getting angry at the elite. Uh, it's, so it's better to have the little people fighting each other rather than the people at the top, uh, long story short. Uh, it's a divide and conquer strategy. And I think this is yet another example of that. Uh, it, it makes no rational sense, uh, again, given the, the statistics, uh, yet the media and the people who don't have a clue are ready and willing to go along with what is being spoon-fed to them. And it plays right into the hands of the elite. So it's really disgusting. And yet again, another example of how uh, manipulable the public is. Yeah, I I was talking about this before the show. I think the the sort of uh, failure mechanism for this thing, there's effectively only one institution that commands broad respect from the American population, and that's the military. That's basically it. Even like, you know, the American Medical American Medical Association, people don't trust doctors like courts. People are like, well, you know, I guess it's better than nothing. But there's an obvious mistrust of the justice system by all parties for various reasons. Really, like, it's the military. That's it. So it's really helpful if you can delegitimize them in the same way that you've delegitimized and made completely, uh, uh, I don't even know what to say, like ineffectual, because they're not ineffectual. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. So uh, outrageously contrary to any public purpose as the uh, U.S. police force has become. So if you can put the military into a no-win situation where on the one hand, uh, you're walking around with empty magazines as a meat shield, or on the uh, the other hand, you're engaging in massacres. Like that's really the two buttons that you have. Like that's there's a excellent reasons why you don't use militaries for population suppression. Like <laughs> you uh you you really don't want to be fighting an insurgency. It's not fun. 
And when you walk around in like big identifiable uniforms and you get people really pissed off at you, like, and your supply lines are also right there. It's just a, a terrible, terrible situation to be in. And it's something that, frankly, the military leadership, I don't think, has the stomach for, the will for, uh, the the desire to engage in any sort of productive activity of that nature. So it's like, okay, you can fly your helicopters. Like, I've seen this uh, footage, and you can just, like, you know, douse people in your, uh, your rotor wash. I mean, that's, you know, all fun and games until one of the helicopters crashes. Uh, but, like... I, I honestly don't know what they're supposed to do when what you're doing is facing people who are like engaging in small group like hit and run attacks shielded by a mass of civilians. Like that's that's how most of these crowds work. It's like you get a lot of people, everybody's sort of vaguely pissed off. You have elements of the crowd that are there explicitly to start violence. The entire crowd is like somewhat aware of this, at least in the abstract, and they just don't care. And they're willing to let them dart out and do their business and dart back and maybe get things chaotic enough that everybody can finally go off the reservation and start just stealing shit, robbing people, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, how do you actually counter that on either a tactical or operational level? Like, unless you've just got so much mass that you physically surround them, like they did in the 2008 uh, uh, Republican National Convention, like on Manhattan with a lot of narrow streets and just a shitload of cops from everywhere, you can maybe just have enough people that you form a literal wall and you just kettle people. I don't know if that's actually possible, given the number of warm bodies and how distributed this thing is. Well, um, again, listening to the L.A. riot episode, it was a good refresher for me listening to uh, James talk about this. But he says that one of the newer tactics they're using, and I think he witnessed this uh, in Baltimore during, I guess it was Freddie Gray. I mean, you know, you know, his name was Freddie Gray. Um, his name is Trayvon. Like. I lose track. I, I This guy's name is George something. But regardless, um, the tactic, the either the National Guard, I think it was the National Guard because they had Humvees employed. Was they I think were, it's George Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, his name is George Zimmerman. Um, they they put in Humvees into uh, intersections and they, they block areas off and you, you cordon off groups that way. And then what they'll do is they'll actually, they'll position the guardsmen on the side of the the Humvee away from the police or not the police, the, uh, the journalist cameras. Uh, and then as the mob is sort of moving up towards the Humvee, the more aggressive ones are going to be at the front. Typically, uh, they'll just arrest them and throw them in the back. Uh, so I would imagine the strategy is, is going to be similar is that they're, they're just going to do pincher movements and, and squeeze off sections of the city. Now this is going to be a huge operation given how many cities this is occurring in. Uh, I think in 68, we had multi-city riots after, um, Martin Luther King was shot, but I, don't recall in recent memory this happening on such a broad scale. Uh, and again, it, it begs the question, you know, who's, who's agitating this? The, this, is, this is Charlottesville times, times 100. I mean, this, this is insane how, how violent and destructive it's gotten. Well, my understanding, Adam, is that uh, the agitators are white nationalists. Yeah, that, that's yeah. their targets. That's the Yet again, black-owned business signs. That's the most bizarre. The most bizarre element of this is that once they realized they couldn't pretend this away, they couldn't say it wasn't happening. Their first instinct was to say, "Well, we see white people in some of these crowds instigating some of the violence and we suspect they are white nationalists i i think it's the explanation is different it wasn't like an attempt to resolve the cognitive dissonance it was a attempt to it's like okay well we're gonna have to beat the shit out of these people uh but we can't be beating the shit out of like civil rights demonstrators uh because that's a bad look so you know, for the purposes of justifying beating the shit out of them, which, you know, everybody agrees is going to have to happen sooner or later. They have to be a politically oppositional ideology. So it's like, 
there. I, I really liked the uh, the Minneapolis uh, mayor or governor. I forget which. It's like we we suspect that some of them may be Mexican cartels. It's like really, <laughs> like that that makes the least sense of all. This is fascinating. Do go on. Uh, if anything, the Mexican cartels are defending businesses right now. <laughs> I mean, the, rea- the reality of what's going on, if you actually see a lot of the on-the-ground footage, <laughs> if you see a lot of the on-the-ground footage, it's becoming evidently clear that pretty much everyone of every race and creed and, and background can be seen defending some kind of territory at this point. You have white shop owners standing next I'm sorry, like white militia guys helping Somali immigrants protect their hookah shop. You have Koreans and surfer dudes in Huntington, California, um, protecting, um, you know, basically hiking stores and and bicycle shops. You know, everyone is desperately trying to defend their business. I just saw footage of a Chinese man, clearly Chinese or Asian of of some background, who is filming with his camera while he's pointing what looks like um, something like an M4 or something close to an M4 at some dumb black guy who's um, sitting on the floor of his shop, of the Asian man's shop, and he's screaming at him, why are you trying to rob my store? Why are you robbing my store? Um, I think that it's very evident, first of all, that the vast majority of the people doing the rioting, doing the destruction, doing the fire setting, doing the, the, the graffiti are black. Across the country, this is predominantly a black thing. And media does not want you to see that. For some reason, they do not want you to realize that this is first and foremost a problem with the African-American community and to be honest, I mean, I'm not trying to, like, cuck out here, guys. I'm not trying to, like, make excuses. But there are a ton of black business owners in places like Minneapolis, like Cleveland, like Columbus, uh, like Pittsburgh, that have just had their lives ruined by these rioters. And they're and trying to always, defend their territory, too. That's always the dynamic if you look at internal black politics. Like, this— yeah, so there's a lot of black guys running around wrecking shit, but they're only allowed to do that because they have the political cover from the white libs that are actually in control of the state apparatus in these cities. And like those same white liberals that cultivate uh, these disturbances are often oppositional to significant elements within the actual the black community in all caps uh to the extent that it exists where you'll see in things like the uh the uh the big crime bills of the late 80s and uh early 90s that the congressional black caucus was like yeah we really need to crack down uh so to speak on uh, all this drug dealing because this is destroying our community. So we want these mandatory minimums. We want, uh, you know, the death penalty for drug kingpins and all this other bullshit. And it was predominantly like, you know, your nice black church ladies uh, who were uh, totally in favor of that. I mean, they actually favor uh, the continued criminalization of drugs uh, to a far higher degree than the, uh, the, the sort of leadership elements of the, the Democratic Party. So, I mean, it's like, uh, this is just all so fucking tiresome because you see all of the same factions doing exactly what you would expect them to do, and it just being allowed to continue. It's just, I mean, literally burning huge amounts of social and physical capital just for no fucking reason. No, I think there's a reason, but go ahead, Nick. Uh, why, Hank, do you think more more people haven't been shot? And I don't mean by the by the fuzz. I mean shot just by. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of guns on the street. I would have expected a bit. I I, I think that we don't even know how. I'm sure there's been dozens of incidents so far. It just hasn't been disclosed yet. There's yeah, no the way sh- there had there have not been people shot by business owners or or just by citizens yet. And I think there's been a lot of people that have been shot at. Uh, <laughs> Which, you know, usually does the trick. Uh, yeah. 
Like these people, these when, people aren't ready to die to steal from a Nike store, guys. Like, and shop owners know that, like the idea of anarcho tyranny is not like that of a big brained idea. Like they might not have words for it, but they're fairly aware that like if I just gun down all these fucking people, uh, that's going to maybe uh, end badly for me. So, you know, you maybe mag dump into the air uh, and skedaddle. Uh, I mean, there's like I just saw a footage of uh, some of this. Uh, I, I don't actually know what uh, neighborhood it was in, but it was some uh, Latino uh, versus black thing where there was like, you know, a bunch of ineffectual shooting. And then everybody ran away to go hide the uh, hide the guns before uh, the cops arrive. And like, you know, the other thing is that a lot of this is concentrated, just like physically concentrated in commercial districts where there's nobody there, even even if like everything was up and running, like downtown D.C. is a ghost town after like 6 p.m. Like everybody goes home. So there's not anybody who's cornered with their back against their wall and people sort of stick out like if you've got a mob that's walking down a residential street it's like who's to say exactly where the gunfire came from you might never figure that out but if you're walking through like you know downtown dc with nobody in these towers and you're just like trying to find the ground level retail it's it's a fairly dispersed uh environment I think there's been some amount of effort placed into targeting some of these locations. Like I've heard people who uh, manage like commercial uh, properties. Uh, there were a couple that claimed like, yeah, you know, these, these some of these shopping centers that are getting hit are like in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's it's very strange and it appears like, you know, I don't even know what the motivation is because it's not appreciable amounts of of damage that's going to like shut down anybody who has like a commercial management firm running the place uh it's not like you know you're robbing a bank or something or it's self-financing so i mean the other possibility is that this is some sort of gigantic stress test some people were hypothesizing that for the uh, the corona lockdowns as well well, well you, exactly. you wrote an article recently, uh, today, I think, um, or the past couple of days on the American Sun. What was your, your thesis there, just so you can introduce that to the audience real quick? Yeah, I mean, the obviously nobody cares about George Floyd. Like, nobody cares. Nobody cared that he He's was alive. He's a piece of shit, violent ex-con who almost killed a woman because he wanted to rob her house. Yeah. It's like armed robbery, like small time porn actor, like nobody gives a shit. Lifetime drug addict. Yeah. But it's it's politically useful for this dynamic to continue. And it's very important that the problem not get solved. Like, honestly, I people have legit. Everybody has legitimate grievances with the police like, I could name a half dozen people just off the top of my head that were just upright and obviously murdered in far more graphic fashions than George Floyd was. And most of them are white. Uh, and the existence of a group of people who is able to act with impunity, like just complete impunity, and supposedly is in the service of a project, the suppression of, you know, the black crime that uh, dare not speak its name, and then is forbidden from actually doing that. It's like, why do we have these people? Why are you concentrating all of your sociopaths and investing them with state authority so that they can then, like, I've seen multiple instances where they're just shooting at people on their fucking porches. Like, why? Like, I, there's no justification for that other than, well, you wouldn't let me beat the shit out of this guy, and I really would like to beat the shit out of somebody. So you're it. That's not exactly the, you know, the coherent uh, version of the thesis. It's a, it's a short article, but 
if I had to sum it up, be fuck the police, uh, fuck the uh, the rioters, uh, fuck the people who enable both of them and profit from that dialectic. Well, th- there's a there's a dynamic here that um, you know, Ryan Landry has helped point out. Uh, we've been pointing out this to a lot of people through the American Sun and, and other places. The cops and the municipal governments of this country, the state governments of this country, just spent the last two and a half to three months terrorizing their populations with lockdowns, with calls for bans to domestic and international travel, to talk of forced quarantine, forced testing, forced contact tracing, economic sanctions against business owners that decide to open too quickly, sanctions against people that protest, sanctions against people that even just leave their fucking house. The cops and municipal governments of this country just went along with the biggest like mass terrorization campaign in American history, maybe, with no legal justification in many cases. As soon as this stuff actually makes it to any kind of court, it generally gets thrown out immediately. And now... Now, when there's an actual element of civil unrest, when businesses and properties are being destroyed, people are being hurt, people are being attacked, the cops are nowhere. The the municipal governments are nowhere. The mayor of Minneapolis is in hiding right now. it It is an incredible dynamic to actually watch unfold in real time, these people just terrorized you and everyone for two and a half months, three months in some cases, and now they're letting all kinds of bad shit happen to you because they don't actually care. They don't actually care if you live or die. It was always about power at the end of the day. They don't, but I think this, again, is just a way for even higher levels of power to move in on their turf. I mean, I think the police departments, ever since BLM and Uh, probably going back even further. I mean, look how they treated the police during the Rodney King riots. They have been under political suppression for for decades, and this will further neuter them and further further alienate them, frankly, from their local populations. And now you see the military stepping in. And it's, you know, I don't know who's running this thing, if this is actually some kind of coordinated thing, but it, it fits a certain agenda. I think it, it fits the federalization, nationalization, internationalization, even who knows if that'll ever happen. But uh, it, it it's just a consolidation yet again at higher levels specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's not right. There's kind of a grand bargain that's... Uh, well, there's the one that you, you, there's what you pay for and then there's what you get. What you're supposed to be doing is paying these guys to actually solve this issue. What you're actually getting is, well, you sign up basically to be, in some sense, a punching bag and uh, in some sense just perpetuating the abuse. Like, it's kind of a well-understood dynamic that the civil government will blame problems on police that they do not allow the police to solve. Like the uh, illusion is that they have any interest in doing that. But there are actors like the, uh, if you want a really good read, uh, follow the uh, Sergeant's Benevolent Association of New York uh, City, the New York Police Department uh, Sergeant Benevolent Association. It's like a quasi-union of their their sort of mid-level leadership. They fed post harder than uh, literally anyone that I've ever seen on Twitter. At one point, they they stated they were declaring war upon uh, the mayor of New York City. Uh, so what what did they mean by this? And this has been a very oppositional uh, relationship ever since Bill de Blasio uh, was installed. Uh, when he was first elected, they essentially went on strike and were like, yeah, we're not uh, going to enforce any of these, uh, quote unquote, low level quality of life violations, which, you know, I think is fine. Uh, apparently, major crime didn't uh, see any effect, uh, but there was a marked drop in uh, you know tickets for traffic violations and open containers and all this other bullshit. So they evidently picture themselves as acting as a political actor 
um, that is trying to secure kind of a prerogative uh, to dictate how the city of New York is actually run. Like that, that's literally Praetorianism, where you get to veto the uh, the civil leadership uh, of the whatever political unit you're talking about. And I'm really wondering how long it's going to be until effectively, uh, either in, I would guess probably in New York City, but could be anywhere, uh, where effectively you have a mayor or a city council or whatever that is forced to resign en masse by their local paramilitaries because they uh, either refuse to protect them or they uh, you know, actively threaten them. Yeah, I, I think that um, some people have been pointing out police unions are one of the last uh, truly independent, somewhat sovereign um, political, you know, uh, political and economic associations left in the country. And I won't say that I have no gripes with the American policing system. I there are. There are an incredible amount of, of whites who have suffered at the hands of, of the American police system. Um, and I think that there probably is room for some change and probably could do with less militarization. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that the, the attacks on police unions, the dissolution of the police unions will ultimately lead to a worse outcome. Oh, absolutely. Because you, you will effectively be unable to uh, fight radical local politicians that will um, ruin the livelihoods of their citizens. And I think you're seeing that play out right now. The, the, the two most aggressive police departments I'm seeing are obviously the NYPD um, and the Detroit Police Department is actually being pretty hardcore in Detroit Despite all the problems we associate with Detroit, we you know we think you know I think when this all broke out, we all immediately assumed oh Detroit is going to collapse. But the Detroit Police Department was using the kind of tactics that the NYPD is just now using, um, and they have been beating the shit out of people for about four days straight now. And things are actually not that bad in Detroit relative to some other places. And the reality is that the Detroit Police Union has emerged ever since the gradual collapse of Detroit began 40, 45 years ago. Um, they've emerged as one of the few forces in Detroit that it's, that is attempted to keep the city somewhat presentable and keep the city somewhat stable. Um, much to the chagrin of the political leadership in Detroit and, and some of the political leadership in Michigan, uh, I, I think that the Detroit Police Union and the Detroit Police Department has done and has tried their best to keep the city stable. In fact, I think it was one of the chiefs of the Detroit Police Department, um, uh, a previous chief, uh, a black gentleman, many years ago, not many years ago, but maybe 10 years ago, um, said that he was in favor of Detroit residents being able to own guns legally. Because he basically said that they had no infrastructure to prevent most crimes, like something like six or seven out of every ten murders in Detroit. Their, go their response rate for uh, a violent crime being called in, uh, you call nine one one. You live in Detroit. Their average response rate is over an hour. I mean, yeah. there's no way you're going to survive at a violent point, at attack. Point, you hit rock bottom, and it's like okay. <laughs> as much as we would like to prioritize other things, like there has to be a actual city here in order to employ us. I right. mean, I think things got pretty close to that bad in, uh, in Detroit. That's not really the case in a lot of places. Correct. I mean, it is actually, if you look at rural America, this is one of the reasons why your local elected sheriff in rural America is also going to be more responsive because it's like it, this county is several thousand square miles and I have to live here. Uh, right. So, you know, it would be ideal if it was a nice place. That's not always the case in uh, places like uh, New York City, where a lot of uh, police officers live outside of the city. That's the case for a lot of municipalities. And that's always kind of a, uh, 
a point of contention uh, for some of the more activist crowds that they want uh, they want the uh, the cops to be indigenous, which of course just means that they form some little enclave somewhere and doesn't solve the problem. But you know, it's the well, thought that counts. You've seen this in the LAPD, um, which is, I mean, LA in of itself is now is very much a Hispanic city. The black parts of LA. Um, are on the decline. The black parts of SoCal are on the decline, although, uh, as you can see tonight, they are still somewhat active. Um, although I, I suspect that a great deal of the protesters are coming in from um, Palmdale and the high desert region, which is where a lot of the, a lot of the black population lives now. Um, but you can see this with the LAPD. A couple of years ago, there was a member of the LA, an LAPD private who had just graduated from the academy, um, was indicted by federal investigators on charges of gun trafficking. Uh, yeah, this happens well, who every he, couple well, who of years. Well, who was he gun trafficking for? Um, he was gun trafficking for the Mexican cartels inside the United States. Um, and of course, then it was revealed that he was a, uh, a lifelong associate of these cartels and, in fact, had been born into a family that was associated with them, I believe. Um, so, you know, the, the cartels effectively planted a local – this is local policing, a, a Hispanic gentleman uh, who <laughs> was from L.A., from Southern California, who um, worked on behalf of the Mexican cartels and was able to seamlessly slip into the LAPD for a time. And immediately, uh, once he had the ability to do so, began trafficking weapons. Out of have to remake uh, Infernal Affairs for the sixth time now? Right. So, you know, you see the ultimate problem with some of this local policing crap is that that there are so many flaws in that now that we have this sort of ethnic element to the United States that is more pronounced than ever. I mean, the, the notion of the cops being ethnics isn't all isn't new i mean in most american cities on the east coast that was certainly the in the midwest and places like chicago uh, that was certainly the occupation of the irish the polish lithuanians italians the old ethnics um but increasingly in almost every american city um you now have these dynamics where most cops do not live in the city they police and some people have criticized that but you know, to be honest, if, if I was a cop and I had – if I was an L.A. cop, I would not want to live in Los Angeles. I would want to live out in Santa Clarita, which is where most L.A. cops live, out in Simi Valley, which is where most of those cops live. I would not want to live in L.A. if I was a cop because it's only a matter of time until you piss off some Mexican cartel or black gang or whatever, and they find out that you live on, uh, on Mid-Wilshire in downtown L.A., and it's very easy for them to roll over and kill you. Instead, if you live out in Simi Valley an hour and 15 minutes away, or you live up in Ventura, somewhere in Ventura, they're probably not going to come after you. Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't, I don't want this to be a entire just, uh, you know, cop bashing uh, spree, I guess, because it's reflective of just this institutional design problem where, having police full stop is just not an ideal situation. If you outsource the violence in your society to a coherent group of people, then that creates a political dynamic that has feedback effects and almost always doesn't end well. Like you like got to beat something. So it's, it's something that, in some places breaks down harder than others if you're in the middle of a society that's already uh, decrepit or decaying or corrupt uh, or demographically unfeasible, uh, then you're going to see the effects of this much quicker than if, uh, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere and literally some guy and everybody knows uh, where he lives. Uh, So it's, This is just like a rail of black pills that I'm snorting because I see this dynamic. It's like, yeah, well, you know, we just gave more power to this toxic dynamic and that solved the problem this time. American flag, 
yeah, let's light these uh, light these rioters up. And uh, yeah, this is obviously heading into like this is the thing that we haven't mentioned yet. This is all heading into an election where you have increased domestic political instability. Joe Biden might or might not be alive. Like, where where is this guy? I mean, Hans, you were talking about this. Like the, he's wondering the, if the, these guys are going to vote for him or not, or if they're black. Well, I, I don't think that there's much evidence that Joe Biden's even still alive. Um, most of the photos, recent photos that can be traced to a certain location that aren't staged totally, of him, he is seen with a large black mask covering his face and large aviators. And he's walking, if you watch some of the footage sometimes, he's walking very quickly. Like, very, he's very spry. And I'm not totally convinced, I'm not being like an, I'm not being a conspiracy idiot where I think like everything's fake, but I'm not totally convinced that Biden's still alive. Well, it's an interesting thought experiment. I mean, people were talking about this with Hillary and her uh, perp walk uh, in parkinson chains to the van uh after 9 11 2015 i think uh and assuming that she wasn't alive or it was a body double um i don't think we're gonna reach osama bin laden tier uh stale footage the guy apparently is still alive according to this grainy footage but by all accounts he's not really but that's effectively what they're doing. I mean, they're they're releasing these like bizarre videos where Biden is sitting like in a room, talking to people or just talking at the camera. But if he and was actually just, dead, I mean, it, I guess the the play is to get the vice president I, in power and then yeah, just I, declare I don't think him he's dead. Dead, but I think he's dead inside. Yeah. yeah, like I oh, think sure. his brain effectively has no higher functioning ability. It's like you know a series of anecdotes that I mean he he's been a politician. You see this with politicians that go senile, where if you say the right thing, they just like go into the script, and like over time their ability to either talk off script uh, gets trashed and their actual script gets kind of garbled. So they just kind of randomly disassociate, which is exactly what you see with with Joe Biden. So it's I think it's it's obvious that were he to get elected, I think he, it's it's certain he wouldn't survive his uh, first term, whether they actually have to uh, have him suffer a, a incapacitating stroke, quote unquote, and be incapacitated formally uh is you know an open question or if he just expires gracelessly but whoever was his vice president would be president within within three years and i'm like a lot of people say you know oh there's there's no way with this chaos that uh, that trump can possibly lose i'm not confident that that's the case i describe it about 50 50 but if you're nominating like a walking vegetable then like why do you why do you sow chaos going into a election that you expect trump to win because i think that like there are like huge factions of the left that do expect trump to win a second term and do see this as empowering him and or at least empowering him to win an uh, win an election. He seems to have handled this, you know, after days of silence and uh, declaring African-American music appreciation month or whatever. Uh, he uh, he finally got some stones uh, today and gave a decent uh, speech with some good optics, uh, you know, waving a Bible in front of the uh, church that was attempted to be burned down uh, in front of the uh, the White House. So, I mean, if the if the goal is to empower this security state that much more, to bring the military that much further into domestic affairs, and as a side effect, cause uh, Trump to be that much likelier to be elected, my suspicion is that, well, I mean, 
A, he's not really in charge of his security apparatus in any real sense. And B, he's not going to be in charge of what little portion he has forever. So I don't know if I want to ascribe that much agency and kind of long-term planning to uh, some of these factions, but building up a uh, domestic superstructure that you can later take advantage of is, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility. You've certainly seen that play out very well in Turkey. I think at this point we can all agree that the uh, the, the, the very stupid and failed uh, coup attempt, what, four, five years ago now in Turkey? People still debate whether that was even a real coup yeah, attempt or I, just like, I, I think that know. I think that, that there is plenty of evidence, not all of which I have on hand anymore, but at the time I was very convinced and certainly after I was very convinced that it was um, it was an op. And I think that generally what you saw was the Erdogan, 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 I guess Erdogan, um, Turks can't really into phonetic spelling. Um, Erdogan basically came out of um, multiple scandals, corruption scandals and um, the, the Turkish military has always been this fourth rail in Turkish politics where it sort of steps in and corrects the political flow of something's going on or something's wrong. And, and for whatever reason, the military had not been acting despite, um, you know, growing outcry from some groups, some factions within the country, mostly on the coast, to step in and get rid of Erdogan for, you know, numerous levels of, of shown corruption and suddenly there's this very very stupid and brazen coup attempt in the middle of the night um by like ten thousand guys at most and it fails miserably um across not even that many it was like it wasn't even a full full yeah Uh, it it fails miserably in places like ankara and izmir and, and it fails miserably um across the the kind of central hinterland of Turkey. It goes on for about 24 hours in Istanbul before being completely undone. And and basically what you see is when all the dust settles, no one I think was above the rank of even like captain that had pledged themselves to the cause. Um, No generals had come out supporting it. There were no major political figures in the Kamal party that had supported it. There were no major journalists, lawyers, businessmen who were associated with the Kamalists that came out and supported it. There was no real coup attempt. It was completely done to neuter um, some loyalists, some low-ranking loyalists, either to the, the Gola or Golin faction in Turkey and the Kamalist faction in Turkey. Um, and Erdogan had allowed the Turkish military buildup for like 15 years or even longer when he was just a low-ranking politician he had allowed it to build up under the Kamalists, um, mostly, I think, because him and his party knew that one day they would have the ability to take control of it. So now Turkey has the fourth largest military in NATO. It has a huge command structure. It has It's basically nuclear armed through the United States. It has anti-aircraft weapons. It has a Navy. Um, so I think it's obvious that, you, that the notion of building up a tool that your enemies might use in the short term, but you can use in the long term, um, is totally plausible because we saw it play out in Turkey. There is no institutional challenge to Erdogan or his faction in Turkey anymore. The Golan faction is gone. The Kamalists are dying out. The only major challenge to Turkey is basically the Kurds out in the east. Um, but there, there are no political challengers to his regime anymore. He's completely cleared them out. And after the coup, thousands of public lawyers were fired and arrested. Mayors were arrested. You had um, some business officials being arrested. Some low-ranking ministers were um, investigated very publicly. You know, it was basically a purge, and the whole thing had been masked with some kind of operation to instigate a low-level coup that they could then quickly control. Because it almost seemed like he was able to get away so easily. They tried to go seize him, but by that point, he was already up in the air, kind of flying around, giving directions to his side of the military. 
and the, yeah. and the and the citizenry that supported him, they went out and they disarmed uh, the soldiers that were attempting to launch a coup. Yeah, it was so ineffectual that yeah. uh, I mean, there was also a suspicion that I mean, th- this is the nice thing about Turkish politics that it's so uh, it's so recursive with its ops. And it's like, yes, well, it was an obvious false flag, which tells you it was really the guy who planned it all along to look like, like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, there, I mean, there were he, some, there were some suspicions that somehow the Obama administration was behind it. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what? Well, we still yeah. have those, uh, those nukes in, uh, in uh, whatever, Sir, I think is the base. Yeah. Whatever that base is in, uh, in Turkey, as far as I uh, have heard, they're still there. I mean, it, Honestly, I, I ascribe more cunning to uh, the uh, the Turkish elite uh, than the uh, the American. Uh, I mean, definitely the American elected uh, elite. I think without a shadow of a doubt. But that's not uh, really saying that much. Like th- this is the frustrating thing when it's unclear why terrible things that could easily be fixed are allowed to continue. You start ascribing uh, agency to the people responsible that they may or may not have, or maybe intentionally are placed. Uh, people with low agency are placed in positions of power. Like you're, you're trying to figure out what's going on, and there's only so many epicycles you can fit into your brain before you just sound like a crazy person. Like. I, I honestly have no idea like how you could extrapolate some kind of a, a long-term uh, plan to this. It's quite possible that one exists, but I don't think that you can definitively discover it uh, by just a process of uh, analysis and having uh, read the right uh, old books and contemporary racists and whatnot. So, I mean, I think the short-term dynamic is pretty predictable like the operational cadence of these these riders is not sustainable uh you can really only just you know stay up until 4 a.m uh for a few days in a row before you're non-functional eventually there's enough uh like actual uh operational strength opposing you that you have to go back uh with your uh you know, not necessarily with your tail between your legs because you might have achieved uh, some uh, massive symbolic victories like burning down a freaking uh, police station and lighting off celebratory fireworks. Good optics, by the way. I, I uh, think uh, maybe it was Adam who asked, has this ever happened before? <laughs> I mean... I I can't think. I was kind of idly Googling uh, for... Uh, by which I mean Yandexing. Uh, if... Uh, <laughs> Yes, if, uh, like a police station could down. going for this information. Yeah. yeah, I was a start page there, man, there and then I found out too. they just they're they're a skin for Google. So, yeah, use those other ones. It wasn't just the uh, the Minneapolis Third uh, Precinct. Uh, there was also a precinct in uh, in Brooklyn uh, that I believe was burned down. Um, I couldn't find uh, previous examples of that. Uh, so do we have a, a sort of a rough list of the major metros? Like what hasn't been hit? Like I've heard like uh, Texas, I think probably Dallas, Houston, Denver, definitely yeah, uh, Portland, any, definitely LA, obviously. The only states DC, I've seen New without York. major issues are like South Dakota, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. Yeah. Yeah. It's the American redoubt. And it's that I haven't seen anything in most most of uh, most of New England seems to be doing okay. So, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. This is this is what I find tactically interesting too, because it's also clearly a response uh, response time measurement exercise. So, you, like you see this continuously uh, if you uh, listen to uh, any of the police scanner uh, audio, um, particularly. Uh, this was like a, a big thing in uh, Minneapolis, I think, which is why it was a uh, thing that the, the local leadership ran with. So what I uh, gather is happening is that you get a fistful of burner phones 
and you send them to not necessarily random locations, but places that you want cops drawn to, and you start calling in, hey, I've got a, a truck full of uh, you know six guys wearing MAGA hats, and they've got AR-15s, and they're shouting racial slurs and firing into uh, into this neighborhood. You need to get here really quick. And of course, like, you know, you've got to send a car or two or three or six to check it out because, you know, it's a report of heavily armed gunplay or whatever. And this lets you peel off resources. It lets you uh, tire and harass uh, these uh, forces. Uh, Thank God nobody has turned any of these into ambushes. Um, It doesn't seem like ambushes are really the style, I guess, of any of these, uh, these operations. It's a digression. And it also lets you measure the, uh, the response time. Um, the amount of collation of some of these, uh, these scanners and the attempts to uh, project kind of an operational picture of what's going on is sometimes actually greater than the, uh, than the actual local government. Uh, like, there have been instances on the scanners where it's pretty clear that they don't really know what's going on per se, um, or like where things are dying down or progressing. So some of these, some of these tactical maneuverings, they, they seem like stress tests and there's, you know, an ample faction of just like anarchists, I guess you could call them that, uh, for their own, weird ideological ends uh find that a good thing to establish um like they're they're not necessarily like threatening per se i guess um i i don't think that they're like a severe threat to like overall social stability if you were like allowed to deal with them but they're I mean, politically affiliated with a lot of people in power, like you see the children of local mayors uh, that uh, decide that they're going to uh, go out and uh, join these groups and uh, fulfill some of these these power fantasies and power realities for that matter. So, I mean, that, that aspect of it that, like, if you look at the macro scale, it's really difficult to see kind of where this is headed a year from now. If you look at like a month from now, I think it's pretty clear how it turns out. But if you look at an even lower scale about what capabilities different groups are developing and who uh, appears to be very sclerotic in their uh, decision making and who is using this as a opportunity to uh, hone their skills. It's very not promising. Well, I've seen the fires burning and the local people turning on the merchants and the shops who used to sell their brooms and mops and every other household item. Watch a mob just turn and bite them and they say it served them right because a few of them were white. And it's the same across the nation, black and white discrimination. And you can understand me and all that other jazz they hand me in the papers and TV and all that matters. Stupidity that seems to grow more every day Each time you hear something with say You want to go and do your in Cause the color of your skin Just don't appeal to him No matter if it's black or white Because he's out for blood tonight Fire in the street ain't like the fire in the heart And in the eyes of all these people 
don't you know that this could start on any street in any town, in any state if any clown decides that now's the time to fight for some ideal he thinks is right. And if a million more agree, there ain't no great society as it applies to you and me. Our country isn't free, and the law refused to see if all that you can ever be is just a lousy janitor. And unless your uncle owns a store, you know that five and every four just want a mouth and nothing more. So we watch the rats go across the floor and make up songs about being poor. Blow your harmonica, song. <laughs> <laughs> 